Okay, everybody. Before we begin, let me just say that this is a long episode, that this is an odd episode. I played it for James, and James said that he worried that it lacked pedagogical value, so there may be a lack of pedagogicality here. But I think it's a fun episode. I enjoyed it, and I didn't cut it down as much as I could, because like there's a whole digression we have about Soylent Green that just would cut out so easily, because that's not one of the movies we were supposed to be discussing. But I like it. I like what we have to say. So it's a Shaggy Dog episode. It's long. But... I hope you enjoy it. I went ahead and I cut out the free story idea in order to try to get it down to a manageable length, and we're going to go ahead and, I think, expand that into a whole episode next time, so I think that'll be really good. Anyway, enjoy the episode, and we're sorry for the length. Okay, welcome back, everybody, to the Secrets of Story podcast. Hi, I'm Matt Bird. I'm the author of The Secrets of Story, Innovative Tools for Perfecting Your Fiction and Captivating Readers. This is James Kennedy. Who are you, James Kennedy? I'm the author of the novel The Order of Oddfish. I'm the curator of the 92nd Newbury Film Festival. And um, I'm also the author of a book that... <laughs> humble listener. Or wait, mm-hmm. should I call him... That's not... I'm, yeah, I'm the humble, humble. I'm the humble podcaster. They're the exalted listener. Okay. Uh, um, exalted listener. I had this book come out a couple years ago, The Order of Oddfish, and then I lost my agent. And then for many years, I've been in the wilderness, and I've been writing book after book after book. And then one of those books, called Bride of the Tornado, I showed to Matt, and I was like, Matt, you're the kind of person who gives notes on novels. Um, Help me out here. I wasn't at the time. He he read the first 50 pages. He says, I can't read anymore. This is awful. I finally got an agent for this book. Yes, congratulations. A very very good agent. I'm very happy about And in the uh, acknowledgments section, I will not thank you. <laughs> That's quite all right. Congratulations on getting a new agent. That's yeah. fantastic news. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I was not doing professional notes at the time. As a matter of fact, I was on a no notes thing, and then James said, you've got to give me notes of my novel. And I'm like, no, I'm not in a notes mood right now. I'm not giving notes. And you just absolutely insisted. And then I said, if I give you notes, you're not going to like them. That's what I told you before I read it, before I read it. Mm-hmm. And then I read it. You and didn't read it. You read the first I, 50 pages, no, you I read, read the last 10 pages. pages. I read 100 pages, <laughs> and that's all I promised to do. Uh-huh. I promised to 100 pages, and then I got to 100 pages, which I was somewhat critical of. And then I always wished you well. I always wished you the best with it, and you've gotten the best. You've gotten an agent with it. It's fantastic news. Okay, well, so that's very exciting. So do we have anything else to say before we get to today's topic? Um, so what have we been doing lately? Now let's not get into that. Okay, let's go ahead. <laughs> let's go ahead and do today's topic. Okay, so today's episode began, I think, when you saw. Did you see the movie Annihilation first, or did you read the story first? I read the story first. Yeah, right, I guess it's a novella. You, so you read the novella uh, Annihilation it. and loved it, and then you well, saw the movie. Well, actually, it took me two or three times to love the novella mm-hmm. because I tried it. it my, Heather, my wife, said, "You got to read this." Uh huh. And I said, okay. And I tried to read it, and I hated it. I tried to read it again a couple months later, and I hated it. And about a year after she recommended it to me, I read it, and then I loved it. I thought it was incredible. So then you saw it, you read the novella, and then you saw the movie, and then you called me up, and you said, Matt, stop the presses. You said, Matt. Um, <laughs> I'm like John Lovitz in League of Their Own. <laughs> yes. Matt, stop the presses. <laughs> so you said, uh, you said, I think we should talk about adaptation and use annihilation as a basis for that. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. So, so not only um, 
Annihilation, but also so we are going two to Philip, do, K, Philip yes. K. Dick short stories made into movies. So, yeah, we're going to do Annihilation, the movie based on the novella Annihilation. We're going to do two Philip K. Dick short stories that were turned into movies. A Minority Report was turned into the movie Minority Report, and the short story We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, which was turned into the movie Total Recall. So we figure, okay, this is a way, we're, we're trying to talk about Hollywoodization, and whether Hollywoodization is a good thing or a bad thing, whether it's a necessary thing, and whether it can make stories better or worse, whether it necessarily better. has to make them better or worse. Wait, so now you're saying, well, see, you originally we were supposed to be, you were supposed to be the anti-Hollywoodization guy, and I was supposed to be the pro-Hollywoodization guy. This is why I didn't want to, just want to talk about annihilation because I'm like, I'm not prepared to be your straw man here. I'm not mm-hmm. prepared to be your, yay, they fixed that novel and they they mm-hmm. Hollywoodized it and gave them names and did these things. And you're oh, you hate it when people don't get names. Well, so that's why I that's why you didn't like I my thought, novel. I the thought, character doesn't have a name, and you kept going ding ding on that yes well a lot of the things as you pointed out a lot of the things that i dinged in the novel that just got you signed are true of an annihilation the book thank you and and they work in annihilation the book yes it is a very strange novella we'll start with this uh the characters have no names they just are listed by their jobs alex garland said i read the book once and this movie is based on a dream that i had about the book he was, Did he really? Yes, yes. He was very uh, aggressive about, like, you know, how, how little he was kind of um, uh, uh, beholden to the book. Well, that is fascinating because he really threw out this book. Like, I mean, well, often I mean, is, the so adaptation it's not, it's not fascinating. Out it's, it's utterly expected. He completely <laughs> threw this book by the wayside. But, but in willful ways. I mean, the whole book is built around, in many ways, the book feels more like a traditional Hollywood story than the movie does because the book begins when you're in the thick of it boom there's these four women they're exploring this post-apocalyptic wasteland and they find this mysterious tunnel going down into the ground which our heroine insists on calling a tower even though it goes down to the ground and then she finds this cryptic poem written around this spiral staircase going down into the ground and eventually realizes there's some sort of creepy crawly thing that's down there uh, trying to kill them, it kills them, but it's not trying to kill them. It's not trying to. It, 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 like, it's like a, it it's almost like a like a like a uh, Lovecraftian thing. Yes. It's just like, well, the whole through, thing through, is it's like like mindlessness. It happens to kill yes. one of them, but it's not trying to kill anybody. The whole thing is the it's most not like love, aliens. The most Lovecraftian thing I've ever read, not written by Lovecraft. Yeah, the whole yeah, thing oh, is I, I agree hundred percent. But also, it's it's like a movie in that she goes down there and she touches the wall that has this weird moss growing on it. And a spore comes off the wall and goes into her lungs and gives her superpowers. No, and it, ju- it doesn't give her superpowers. It just makes her immune to the hypnotic suggestions right. by the psychologist who's the leader, the very explicit leader of the expedition. And, yeah, and so suddenly who, she, she realizes... certain words, it causes a very specific reaction. You know, like one of them, if you say the word annihilation, that causes a person to commit suicide. Yeah, so, so she the... realizes we're being hypnotized by our leader, but I can figure it out now that I've got this spore in me and now suddenly I essentially have a superpower of not being hypnotized and that gives me this power to save myself and do what I need to do. feels all like a movie. It feels like, you know, like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, we've got this big task in front of us. We've got this tunnel. We've got this they monster. Need to get to a light, we've got a this lighthouse. superpower. We've got this, this goal to get to this lighthouse. And then, and then they made it into a movie and they said, all right, the tunnel is totally gone. The tunnel, yeah. which took up, which dominated Tower, tunnel, 90% yes. of the plot uh, in the original short story, 
you know, it, yeah, I'm not surprised he just read it once because like then the whole story was based around that superpowers gone. Well, hypnotization gone. Yeah, but they kept the lighthouse. They're like, okay, let's just skip over the whole tunnel thing, skip over the poem, skip over the the crawly guy, skip over the hypnotization. Let's deal with going to the lighthouse. And they kept the notion that she eventually is sort of realizes that she's being replaced by a plant-based person. And then they took that and they made it more explicit. They kept the idea that she's going in because her husband has has gone in to the wasteland and then come back out. Significantly, in the book, we don't find out about that until almost halfway through. Yeah. In the movie, we find out that almost at the beginning. That's the reason yeah. why she goes in. That's the inciting incident in the, in the this is movie. Like a, in, we in, see her husband come home yeah. and he's crazy and he's changed. It's great because she's Princess Amidala and he's Oscar Isaac, he's Poe Dameron. So we get to see a Star Wars fanfic of Poe Dameron having sex with Princess Amidala. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yes. So. <laughs> Um, so but so it's so it's such an interesting choice because one real movie moment they have in the movie that they didn't have in the book she eventually finds out there's this big twist that they sort of is much more that is in the movie that sort of takes something that was sort of implied in the book and makes much more explicit where then she finds this videotape where her husband kills himself blows himself up with a grenade and then, but this time, it is sort of a Hollywoodization in that this time she actually, instead of sort of implying at the end of the book that she has been, she, she sort of comes to realize over the course of the book that like, oh, I'm not really myself anymore. I've sort of been replaced by this sort of alien plant type person. And, you know, we actually, of course, in the Hollywood version, they're like, okay, let's have her actually get in a fist fight with her Hollywood plant self. So let's talk about Hollywoodization. So what was your original point? Why have you called us here today, James? What was your... What was your take on Annihilation and what it can teach us about Hollywoodization? Okay, so I love the book. Um, and the, the book is great because it, it, it does this great thing of depersonalization, which I think is a very interesting thing that like, books can do in a way that maybe movies can't. Like, yeah. she, the main characters are called the biologist. The other characters mm-hmm. are the anthropologist, the surveyor, the psychologist. Every time somebody is referred to by their job and not their name, it has this alienating feeling to it. Yeah. And it's, it's very satisfying. Um, but I mean, but I would definitely say in my book that that's unsatisfying. That you but, know, that and I would we, say that your book is wrong. Yeah, uh, we would long to, you know, we long for specifics. You long for it, and so therefore, when you don't give it, it's it, it works well. Uh, um, it shouldn't work well, but it can work well. It, you know, as with any time someone is denying you something you want, I think that Vandermeer, the author, knows we want it and knows he's denying us something we want, and then you can play with that, and then you can get the effect you want by right. knowing what the audience wants. As I did in my book, which you did not, deny which which you did not appreciate. So, yes. um, the, the, so here, here's the thing about the, so the the book I, I think is very aggressively and from the very beginning alienating. It wants yes. to be alienating. That's why I couldn't get into it the first couple times, mm-hmm. um, and, and and so and that's why I, I, I eventually liked it so much. It, it like you said, it's the most Lovecraftian thing I've read outside yeah. of Lovecraft. Um, it 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 does what Lovecraft does, in which it defines things, defines things through negation. Like the effect of this cannot be understood without being there. She would say yeah. something like that, or or like they say, um, I came across pages that described unspeakable acts that I still cannot bring myself to set down in words. Right. That might Which as is, well be a Lovecraft sentence. But right? it's so it's it's such the a effect, 
it's amazing that people like reading this novella because they're going like, well, sorry, reader, you had to be there. I can't describe it. I can say what it's not. You know, well, so she'll like describe well, in the, the same creature way that... and she'll describe what the creature is not, but she can't describe what the creature is. And it's in yeah, the same way that like Aquinas describes God through negations. Yes, you have to, when if you're talking about something that's truly beyond all human can, it can only be described through negations. And, she, and right now, Jeff Vandermeer is doing the work of literature here, and not the work of genre fiction, and uh-huh. not the work of movies. He's doing the work of literature here, and like pushing us beyond where we should go, where we're likely to go, or where we want to go. It can be used as a cheap trick, like, oh, the, the thing that I saw, nobody can understand. But he, he does it tastefully, and he does it well. But this alienation is countered by very great pulpy aspects of it. They, they, they say in like the second paragraph, they like it's, it's cheesy pulpy. It's like we have to continue the government's investigation into the mysteries of Area X. Yeah, this well, is, this the is whole like idea of so Area, Area X. X. It's, it's so, it's so pulpy. pulpy. You yeah. have to, you have to be that pulpy because you are asking for so much for the reader on one end uh-huh. that you have to promise on the other end, I'm going to give you the pulp goods, and it does give you the pulp goods. It may not give you in in the way that you expect it. But the first chapter is pretty much just like this master class and alienation the way that they talk about outrageous things in a matter-of-fact way like uh the members of the first expedition returned to their families it disappeared by from area x by unknown means and reappeared so like people from the previous teams that went to area x they just reappeared months later with their families like how did it happen and they he undersells everything yeah all the way through but again and again they say like we were meant to be focused on our purpose anything personal should be left behind she's pushing personal away again and again and again a movie i don't know if it can do it yeah um, well and they didn't even try like they were like they very much well, rejected 2001 all that does it no i mean in the, this movie in the movie annihilation they very much reject they give her name i wondered like are they gonna try to do that like no 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 they're like okay we're gonna do a linear story we're gonna go from the beginning we're gonna give everybody names and this we're is gonna a problem give them backstories we're gonna give them you know they didn't gonna... do a linear story because they have it start with Natalie Portman's character, Lena, um, the biologist, talking to a bunch of people and they're interviewing her about what happened. And that takes all of the urgency out of this movie. Every once in a while, they cut back to Lena, Natalie Portman's character, talking to these hazmat-suited people. And so you know, okay, she's going to survive and you know these other people aren't going to survive. And so it's just a matter of seeing, like, okay, how are they going to get killed? And it takes... Think about aliens. Basically, yeah. this movie was a chance. That the way it was sold to me, in a way, uh-huh. it's like this is an all-female aliens, and it's in Florida. Yeah, that's how. That's what. That's what I bought a ticket for. Yeah. Uh, even though I read the book first, I was like, but I think this movie is. I saw the trailer for this movie before I read the book, uh-huh. uh, and I said, "Oh, this is going to look good. I'm going to read the book." And the book blew me away eventually. But like when I eventually saw the movie, not in the theater on video. Uh, like I, I was like, oh, this is gonna be all female aliens. Yeah. But the problem with that is that it has no connection to the working class. It has no connection to yeah. id. Yeah. The, even though like the, the woman who's like the ambulance driver, she, who kind of eventually ties them all up and kind of turns against them, she kind of has this kind of more working class aspect to her. Basically, all of them are kind of Xanaxed out yuppies who are are, are just kind of very kind of, kind of just. You know, kind of going through the the they, they 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 all kind of all their emotions are very 
played down what, what what they think is subtle but is in fact boring yeah and i don't know if it finds faults in the book that i didn't notice or if it just portrays the book in a subtle way but like i wish i hadn't read the book when i saw the movie i would have enjoyed the movie more do you think that they could have tried to do a faithful adaptation of this novella no because um writing a poem on a spiral staircase going downstairs is not that filmically interesting. You think it would have looked dumb? Yeah, it would have looked dumb. Would have looked dumb. It works on Lovecraftian level. It works on like because it's weird. Cause it's like oh, you know, I'm entering this alien world where aliens are taking over, and they're writing English language poetry. Yeah, <laughs> it's like well, that's but it's also that's weird. It's like you realize okay, this isn't aliens, and it's not sci-fi, and it's not horror. It's Lovecraft. It's just this sort of dark gothic. It's but just... also, Aliens is fun. And mm-hmm. this is not fun. No, it's not fun. Horror movies That's should have problem. an element of fun. Yeah. In Aliens, when they're all hanging out on the marine ship, we uh-huh. see all the class divisions. We see, oh, this person's like this, this person's mm-hmm. like that. And when we see all these kind of scientists or professionals hanging out in Annihilation, there's not much. There's not no. that much to distinguish them. It's classic ba- movie backstory and that they're like, we're all here because we're damaged. Yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, one of us cuts and ourselves. One of us, the other one, one a cutter. has cancer. Yes. It's just like, but I don't care. I want to see it come out through behavior. Yes. I want to see it come out through action. Yeah. In the novella, which again was sort of weird and unexplained in many ways, the whole world knows about Area X. There have been, whatever, 20 different expeditions in Area X, and everybody knows about it, and everybody wonders about it. And so you got the feeling, okay, this clearly seems to be some sort of post-apocalyptic world that this novella is set in. Where well, no, there it's not are... post-apocalyptic. It's kind of secret what, what's going but on in Area are... X. But if everybody knows there's some area but that, it's kind the, of, it's that a the army bit covered can't up. explore very well, they, they, they know there's something going on. Clearly America has collapsed to a certain extent if everybody understands that... There, there's something that's going on. People don't want to talk about it. Yeah. It's kind of being covered up, but things are going on like normal. Yeah, but but to me that implied a certain level of post-apocalyptic. Well, we're living in it that, then. If, in that America has lost control to a certain extent. If America has lost control of part of its territory and everybody sort of accepts that it's now an area that, that people go to and they don't come back from. Whereas, mm-hmm. in the, whereas in the movie, it's very much set in our world, a place where only people who are sent on military missions to this area know that it, it's very clear it's very localized in one little national park that has been taken over. And I never bought it in the movie. I never bought mm-hmm. that, like, we have Google Maps these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if part of America, even a tiny little part of America that was in it, that was a state park or a national park, became surrounded by a soap bubble uh, <laughs> created by aliens, then everybody would know real quick. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Whereas the book was able to just go, like, it's Area X. It's yeah. a few, you know, like, something's gone wrong. Like, some shit has gone but, down. Books We're not going to tell you more why. subjective and <laughs> close to the narrator. Books in can a way. deny you. Yeah. Books can, uh, the book can go like, look, it's Area X. It's, you know, yeah. shit has gone down. <laughs> That's just, there's just, shit has gone down. Don't ask. And, you know, in the movie, they have to go like, all right, no, this, trust me, it all makes sense. We're just going to lay it all out here. Don't worry. It's going to make it very clear what's going on. And I thought they had to make it clear in a way that took away from the story, that um, took away from its sort of creepy mythological feeling it had in the book. The yes. other rule that this that, that this fulfills is national pain. Yes. Uh, um, because basically this is about PTSD. So here's a military wife whose husband, who is a military guy, has gone and done something and come back from that thing, uh, Oscar Isaac, her husband, and he's completely in incommunicative he can't 
tell her what he's seen. And many people, they've had a spouse go off to war yeah. in Afghanistan, Iraq, or wherever, and they've come back and they, they're alien to them now. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who've been through this. And so this And, takes and so that, this movie takes says, that real-life national yes, pain. your husband comes home and he's alien to you, and it's like, okay, it's because he's an alien. It's because he yeah, went yeah, there yeah, and got a, replaced by an alien. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it takes that real-life national it's, pain and, and turns it into a metaphor that, you know, that makes the... Well, what she does, the, she... The real feeling into something that actually happens. And so the fantasy is, like, just in the same way as, like, with Star Wars, is like, well, what if we were the Viet Cong? Yeah. The fantasy here is like, well, what if I could go and do what he did? Yeah. You know, what if I could go to Iraq, you know, even though I'm just staying at home with the kids or, or this or that? And then she does go off to Iraq or Afghanistan. She she does that here, and then she also becomes gets replaced like by, Yeah, also yeah. gets replaced by an alien. Right, right, right. And I did like the end of the movie. In the book, she never makes it back out. Oh, yeah, she's she's like, I'm, I'm going to keep on going yeah. north. Yeah. In the book, she never makes it out of Area X. She decides to stay there, and... In the movie, she comes out, and then she is reunited with her husband. And and what's the line at the end? She's like, she's like, by the way, are you really you? And he's like, uh, you know, no, I'm not. What what about you? And then then she doesn't answer, and that's sort of the end of the movie, or something like yeah. this. There's something much more like subtle about the book, which is like she doesn't even reveal to the audience like that her husband went in before her. She's like, yeah. I I, sh- I might as well say this now. My husband was in the last mission, yeah. Um, but like I would have gone, and even without, without him, it's like. That's even another layer of alienation, and much more interesting, yeah. much more literary, yeah. and basically not filmable. Because um, you, like in the movie, you'd be like trying to frantically make that connection. Yeah. Um, but like in in a book, this is this is what books can do. The movies can't. They, yeah. they, they can leave these things uh, kind of vague or unconnected, or kind of like push you in a direction that you didn't think human emotions could go. Or you can just sit inside somebody's self-delusion in a way that you can kind of share in it a little bit. A movie yeah. doesn't have the time or resources for that. Well, and yeah, when a movie is unclear about something, you blame the movie. You don't blame yourself. You don't go like, you know, when, when if you watch a movie and you were to realize halfway through a movie, oh, her husband went on a mission to this place before she did, mm-hmm. you would go like, they failed to make that clear to me. Yeah. You know, they failed to, it was their job to make that clear to me, and they failed. Whereas in a book, you're far more likely to go like, oh, I hadn't figured that out yet. Now I figured that out. Like, oh, I'm I'm dancing with this hero. Yeah, I'm, yeah. oh, she is a coy mistress. She is, she is gradually revealing herself to me. In a movie, we're like, all right, just give me the goods. You know, lay it all out for me. If I don't, if you're not totally clear, then you failed. I well, didn't fail. Just, but in, in a way, it's an indictment of us more than yeah. movies. And I bet there's movies that are able to let people do that. But this movie did not do that. We, like, for instance, like we never see them going across the border in the book. But of course, in the movie, we have to see them yeah. going across the border. We have to have that, like, we're going across the threshold into the lower part of Dan Harmon's story circle. Yes. Uh, um, if you don't just show that, then you're not doing your job yeah, as a the, movie maker. The, well, but in the book, it's so much stories. better, in a way. Because yeah. it's like, I was hypnotized. I woke up, I'm already in there. And it's so yeah. alienating. It's like, I don't even remember going through. Yeah. And it's a very alienating thing and that plays into Lovecraftian, like, who am I? Like, what are my experiences? Do I even remember who I am? Uh, mm-hmm. th- and that's... Yeah, I mean, in, in, in that way, the movie is more like Joseph Campbell, Dan Harmon, whoever you want to say, saying, you know, it begins in the normal world. Unlike, you know, mm-hmm. the book does not... The book never is in the normal world. It has flashbacks in the normal world. Yeah. But it begins in Area X, it ends in Area X. The movie begins in the normal world, ends in the normal world. The, uh, the movie has, uh, the book has wonderful flashbacks to the normal world, and when she's like talking about the 
the pool that she had yeah. in her backyard that she would look at for like biological samples when she was growing up. That's what caused her to inspire to become a biologist. And that's so great. And it's utterly unfilmable. <laughs> yeah. No, that never would have worked. So wrapping up Annihilation yes. here, what is your conclusion on Annihilation? This movie is too polite to be what it should have been. Which is what? So Arrival ends up being a classy science fiction movie. Uh-huh. Total Recall is a pulpy, crazy science fiction movie. Yeah. This one can't figure out what it wants to be. Yeah. Because there's parts that are pulpy and crazy, like when we see like the man who is like turned into like some kind of piece of mud like crazy plant yeah. art at the bottom of a pool or, or like when they have that looking at the video and it's kind of like that part in Event Horizon which crazy stuff is having on a video of, you saw Event yeah, Horizon I never, right? I never saw Event there's Horizon a, there's an unforgettable scene in Event Horizon when they look in the log of the previous <laughs> mission and they see unspeakable horrible things right. and that's what happens in this yeah. too and they clearly had seen Event Horizon when they <laughs> wrote this movie um, and but it doesn't have the courage of its convictions it, and it doesn't it doesn't fully engage its id yeah. it doesn't it's like I'm just going to go for it. Like when, in Total Recall, which we're going to about to talk about, when Arnold Schwarzenegger picks up a, a person who got shot in front of him in, in an elevator and uses him as a human <laughs> shield yes. and then like throws him down the elevator <laughs> at the other people, it's totally engaging our id. When we see the woman with three breasts, it's totally yeah. engaging our id. This is trying to be a classy sci-fi horror movie. And if you're trying to be classy, you better be a rival or, or else you're going to fail a little bit yeah. and that's what this one does yeah I mean this movie by eventually building to the point where she's fighting her alien double you know, she's a like, black swan uh, yeah she's a, she's fighting her alien double and it's like okay you know that is that implies that you've pulped up the material to a certain extent but the rest of the movie just does not match that you know <laughs> well, and that's there's part one that point where utterly they like not from the book yeah only not from the book there's one point where they fight a giant alligator but they just don't commit to it it's not like a Oh man, do you see that badass giant alligator scene? And of no, course, not Natalie that. Portman's character is the one who knows how to use a gun and is ex-military, whereas yeah. in the book it's somebody else. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so then, so we've already started comparing this to some of our other adaptations. Which one do you want to do next? Let's do Total Recall. Yes, let's do Total Recall. So I think that we're both in agreement that this is, of all of our four examples of Hollywoodization, this is the one that is just, you know, it's... The weakest story of the four we're going to be looking at, it is maybe the most satisfying movie of the four we're going to be looking at. This is an all-time classic movie. It is is an all-time classic movie. It is a great movie, and it is a terrible short story. It's not a terrible (laughs) short story. It is not terrible. It's a great, like, so much of the, most of the value of the movie comes from the short story. Yes. I would say that they took, they took a short story that was a brilliant idea for a short story. This was a great beginning to a short story, and they're like, yeah, let's go ahead and take that beginning and, you know, do what should have been known with that, you know, actually yeah. make it this big, badass, awesome story. And yet, in many ways, a more ambiguous and intelligent story yeah, and than ambitious. the original short yeah. story. I mean, in, the film Kendrick wrote this ambiguous. in an amphetamine rush <laughs> in an afternoon and then went and wrote another story the next day. Yeah. So let's not beat up on him. Let's not beat up on him. But I mean, Phil obviously, Dick and, has great ideas. Yeah. His characters have no interiority. The yeah. plots are incredible at the beginning. They have a great concept. Then they often bog down into something that's very fussy or thinky or not developing the original idea in a satisfying way. Or they just like, zap off and do a new idea, which is not as interesting as what the movie is done with it. So, yeah, I think the movie's both Total Recall and, you're going to disagree with me, Minority Report, take Philip K. Dick's genius and build onto it and make something that is really, really satisfying. The, the surprising about We Can Remember for You at Wholesale, which is yeah. what Total Recall is based on, is that it's really close to Total Recall up to a point. Yeah. 
uh, we've got this in the book. It's like a guy named Quail. In the book, it's Quaid. That yeah, sounds they, stronger. They, they, well, they couldn't have a hero named Quail when they made a movie in 1990. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's an everyday guy. He's, he's kind of this marriage of this kind of like wife who henpecks him. He's he's drawn to Mars. He doesn't know why. He doesn't. Know, he wants to. He realizes I'm not. I'm just a working class guy. In in the short story, he's like a bureaucrat. Of course, in the movie. He's like a construction worker, right. which is what I would have recommended because it gets into the id. Yeah. Horror movies in particular have to have a touch of the working class. Aliens touch the working class. Yeah. This touches working class and working class concerns. Annihilation and, I guess, Arrival don't touch working class concerns yeah. at all. I mean, that's why neither of them truly caught on. Like yeah. Total Recall and Aliens went nuts business yeah uh, um you i think a horror thing and a true sci-fi thing really has to engage well and what concerns. could be more id than uh, what, uh, what are those things called uh hammer it, it, yeah jackhammer what could be more id it, it, what than, could be than a man less working a class than a man who doesn't know the word for a jackhammer <laughs> <laughs> so, so 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 quaid there's, goes there's to, something very very uh libidinal something very idinal about yeah. uh, holding a jackhammer so so he goes to the office of recall and he's um and he go, undergo a process to insert he wants to go to mars he can't afford it he wants so he goes to both the the movie and the short story insert the memories of having gone to Mars, yes. and in 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 the in the short story, they said, "Oh, and we'll have you be a secret agent." And in the movie, they kind of very wisely said, "Oh, Mars, and actually, we'll add this on to you. You're also a secret agent." Yeah, and it's like, "Oh, well, that's that's what? That's very interesting. <laughs> Tell me more." <laughs> so, yeah, so it was. And he undergoes this process to insert the memories. Yeah. The problem is, he has already been to Mars. He really was a secret agent. They try to put the memories in. This is both the story and the movie, and. There's already memories there of him having gone to Mars and done a secret mission, uh-huh. and that and, and so he breaks loose and he runs out of there, and that's where the fun begins for both of them. And then they're and then in both they then they send people to try to kill him. The, yes. the people who he used to work for, um, who now realize he is remembering his memories that they wiped, send people to try to kill him, going like, "Oh, now you're on this thing." Now this is where the short story. Just completely this great beginning, and then the short story completely muffs it. Then it goes off in the crazy direction of the short story, where then he never leaves Earth. He stays. Yeah, yeah. So there's all this great setup of like, oh, I get to go to Mars. It's like, oh, the promise of the premise is that you eventually go to Mars, or at least see yeah. a memory of Mars. Yeah. Never happens. Never in the happens. Story. Never know what's on Mars. He determines that he really was this former secret agent. Then they have to his. And so he can disable all these people who are trying to fight against him. But his former bosses are having to deal with the recall people, and then they come up with this sort of compromise solution. We'll put new memories in you. We'll put memories in you that you defeated an alien invasion. And Not defeated. That's the thing that like when you were a little boy, <laughs> these little mice creatures came down and they said we're gonna take over the Earth. But then they were, he was like, no, I just want to help you or something. And they were impressed by his purity and that he just wanted to be kind to them. It's like okay, we will let your planet survive as long as you don't tell anybody. As long as nobody knows that we had this conversation, as long as you stay alive. And then they said, and and, and, and so he says, oh, that's my fantasy. Yeah. And, it turn, and they said, okay, we'll put that. That so in. But decide, it turns out that's what actually yeah, happened. And so once again, for the second time in the story, the fake story they're implanting in his head also yes. turns out to be the true story. And he really did, he really was saving the Earth from this alien invasion just by staying alive. And then 
and then the aliens come back at the end of the story. It's this a complete, is a mess. complete mess. It is a complete mess. It is, you know, it's the ultimate repeated beat. Like yeah. twice <laughs> in the same story, he is getting a crazy sci-fi story put into Again, his head. Again, he wrote which it turns in an out to afternoon, I'm sure. Yes. And, and then he went off and did another piece of genius that yeah. you and I could never touch. <laughs> could you could never touch, I mean? yes. But, and then, you know, he sold it for whatever, for five cents a word, to some pulp magazine. But just as you'll see with Minority Report, the big contributions of the movie, the way they really move it beyond... Uh-huh. So is like all of like the fun tech. So there's a scene in which he's running through an X-ray. We see the, he's going great the, image. to check to see if like they have any weapons. Uh-huh. So we, we it's set up. We see him go through it with no problem. Later on, when he's running with somebody, they, he's running through it, and then he's they, you can see he's got the weapon. On, you see a skeleton, yeah. you know, with a weapon on it, and you see other people running in their skeletons with wep, wep, their weapons. They're about to shoot him, and then he jumps through the screen and awesome. crashes. It. That, that's awesome. Or the receptionist is. Instead of painting her fingernails, she's just touching her fingernails with a pen. And as soon as she touches them, they turn a different yeah. color. The, the, but, well, and the, the woman's head, when he's dressed up as the as the uh, older uh, yeah, woman she, and she, then removes her head off and of his head. And she comes off with this crazy special effect. Wonderful. The, the tennis hologram when Sharon Stone is like doing yeah. te- like practicing tennis at home. Um, that That is – so you can have this key idea of implanted memories. But if you're going to make a science fiction movie, we're going to see this minority report too. You've got to put in the crazy science fiction stuff that's going to make us feel, oh, yeah, that's what it's, that's what it's totally going to be like right. one day. And, and that's – and it also has to be like kind of connected to our ideas. Like, there's like you can draw a line from our life to that life and see yeah. this is definitely how it's going to be. But so then what makes the movie work so well is that – so in the movie he's told like – Oh, we're gonna implant this trip to Mars, and oh, we're gonna add a little side. We're gonna add a little secret agent element where you know you're secret agent. And then the best line in the movie is they're like, "Oh, we're they're sort of previewing the thing they're gonna put in his head." And they're like, "Oh, that's interesting. Blue skies on Mars." And so then, so that you're wondering while they're doing this, like, well, how will he? Won't he remember having been to Recall to get these memories implanted in him? Like in the short story, they say, "Yeah, in the you movie, won't in remember the short story, any of they this. explain you won't remember any of it." But mm-hmm. then, but you're sort of not buying it, and then they never finish implanting the thing in it because the people show up to kill him, going like, "No, this is true. You really are a secret agent. You really have been to Mars." The way that he gets out of that is that he's just so strong he breaks <laughs> yeah, the machine. Yeah, he's just so strong <laughs> he breaks the machine. No, my name is Quaid. I'm not Hauser. <laughs> and so then he, so then he realizes that in order to solve the problem, this is where Dick did not go. He has to go to Mars, and which is find... exactly where the story has to go. <laughs> and he, you know, has to reconnect with the underground movement on Mars, who he thinks thing. he used to work with. Then he finds out, no, 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 you actually were betraying the underground movement, and now you've betrayed them to us, and we're going to kill them all because I'm Ronnie Cox, I'm the bad guy. I get to prove now what's really going on, where we erased your memories so that you could then lead us to the mutant leader, and you could help us do all this stuff. And then he fights back. He succeeds in destroying all the bad guys. and then, But in the course of it, they trigger a machine that then terraforms Mars and creates blue skies on Mars. And then you get this great moment right at the end of the movie where he realizes, as we realize, where he's like, oh, this is all the thing that was put into my head no, of recall. No, because that, was, that moment happened in the midpoint. You, that moment had the midpoint when Sharon Stone and the guys show up and they say, uh-huh. Mr. Quaid, all this time, do you really think that you were a spy yeah. who came to Mars and had all these action adventures and, and, and then you're the... the but they don't, they, but they and, don't and convince then, him. No, they don't convince him. They don't but, convince but that him. That essentially takes that yeah. interpretation off the table. Yeah, for the rest of the yeah, movie. that's where yeah they they take that interpretation out. So they acknowledge okay, that's probably what's going on. But no, 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 that's just what they're trying to convince him because they want to get away with stuff. Although, bad guys, uh, that's not what's really oddly, going on. Even though they had a lot of money to make this movie, 
all the sets look like sets. Yeah, oh, yeah. There, it, it, there is a deliberate fakeness yeah. to all of this movie that makes you feel like, wait, this, they could have done better with these sets in 1990. I feel. Yeah. Uh, and and the guy, I've seen Aliens. Like the, those aliens looks like aliens. It, this it, was, the, I'm but totally aliens there. was also dimly lit. This movie, one of the things that makes this movie so good is that it's so brightly lit. Yeah, yes. Refreshingly so, because it, yeah, it was really about to refreshing. enter an era. Like uh, watching all the original Star Treks of my, uh, with mm-hmm. Lucy, she's like, it's so great. Everything is so bright and colorful. Uh, I feel like, where happened to that sci-fi? I know. <laughs> they, but like everything. And the, I took a look at like the new Star Trek and it's like dimly lit gray. Yeah. Like it's like, well, I, I'm sure it covers up a, a million flaws, but it's not as fun to look at. No, it is not. So then, but so then they set up in the middle of the, yeah, right. In the middle of the movie, they're like, doesn't it seem more likely that this is all just what's being put in your head at recall? And then he's like, no, it's not true. And then I knew I could get you to do it, Arnold. <laughs> you out there in America, please email into us your Arnold impersonations. We will run the best ones in our next episode. So then, but so then at the end, it's only when he sees the sky on Mars turning blue that he realizes, like, oh no, this really is all part of the simulation. Like, clearly, this whole story has been so much fun. No, you this could have said that earlier. Fake. So then, when he sees, so fine, forget about us, but when okay. he sees the blue sky, yeah. He suddenly has this great moment, you know, and they say Arnold can act. Arnold can act just fine, and he does a great. He really plays the moment well of Arnold going like, "Oh crap, this is all part of what they put in my head. This is all part of what they put in my head." And so then he, and then he says he turns to the girl and he says like, "You better kiss me right now," because Mm -hmm. he realizes that his simulation, this has all been a simulation, and it's about to end. Mm -hmm. And what does he say? What's the line he says? What if this is all a simulation? And she's like, "Well, then you better." Then she says, "Then you better kiss me right now before it's over." He's like, "Okay." <laughs> and then he kisses her, and then the movie does not. This is what makes the movie so good. It does not tell us one way or the other. Right. It right. then it then sort of pans into the sun. And no, the sun no, it goes, it's a whiteout. Yeah, whiteout. Yeah, the movie whites out. Yeah. And you're like, oh, is he gonna wake up now or not? And then it doesn't tell us because it, the movie respects our intelligence. So much more than the original story did. The original yes. story is zany twist, the second zany twist of the story. It's, you know, there's robot really, mice that you need to placate. Alien mice really did invade the world. Like, for instance, like in 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 the in the short story, the wife of Quail uh-huh. is not a counter spy. Uh-huh. She's just his wife. But it makes much more sense that he his if his memory was removed, that the person that he's with yeah. is going to be his minder. Yeah, it improves on the story in almost every way. So, yeah. so let's talk about Hollywoodization. So, how do you keep it from turning into Born Identity? I think it's a problem of this movie. You, you know, because why? Why? why because I, he has all these skills. Him. Yeah, you know, and he's a super agent. So you, you've got to keep up the mind fuck element of it at yeah. all times. So that's why they had to, at the middle of it, and not just at the end, say, "You are sitting." at our offices right now. None of this is happening. Right. They could not have saved that for the end. They had to yeah, put it in the middle. Yeah, right. This is something that has to be throughout it or else it's just a born identity. What's the matter? Born Identity is a great movie. What's the matter with the born but identity? Then it's just a born identity. It's not right. a Philip K. Dick story. It's not right. a mind fuck. Right. Born yeah. Identity is it not has a mind to be fuck. A mindfuck. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, You've got to keep us off our balance. And it, it, but it fulfills the promise of the premise. We actually go to Mars. Yeah. We actually go to Mars, which it, is the huge. And apparently, in the terrible remake they made with Colin Farrell, they didn't go to they Mars. They just go to England. And, uh, uh, so, but it also it touches the working class, like I was saying yeah. before. He's a construction worker. He's hang, he's on a train. He's hanging out with a miner on Mars, and he says like, like, oh, like, why do they stop? 
mining in there. It's like they live or something. Like there, there's there's a le- legitimate, authentic connection with the working class. With, with same way aliens did. I think movies have lost that connection. Oh yeah. Um, maybe other than maybe like Fast and the Furious or, or things like yeah. that. Uh, and, and I think like people who are movie critics or something like that or somebody somebody took over and like moved them away from what most people want to see what most people connect with now and part of that is an unapologetic kind of interaction with the id so the movie has the courage of its pulpy convictions there's mutants with crazy faces that are coming out of other people there's a a a, a, a little person prostitute from one of three breasts but it's on the side of like the working class this is like a it, it, but it's also a it's also radical it's like they talk about like the first settlers are here when they walk through that graveyard and like they all worked and the bad guy he got all the money you, you yeah. know it, it, it's, it's it's like they live it's like it seems like a man can't make a living with his hands anymore is like, like a line from they live um, yeah. the, 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 um, the, these are concerns that should be um, that movies should play to um, and the, the whole thing about mutants is original to the movie right? yeah. that's from in Quato. But like the things like tearing off Richter's arms, you know, in the elevator. Like, oh, right. See you at the party, Richter. <laughs> uh, um, and like, but like just lines like, "In thirty seconds, you'll be dead, and I'll blow this place up and be home in time for cornflakes." Yeah, it's great. In not time for cornflakes. <laughs> like nobody's schedules cornflakes, and it's never in the evening. <laughs> no. See, if this is the difference between this movie and Minority Report is. If that wine had been in the movie Minority Report, he then would have picked up a box of cornflakes and smiled next to it. No. Because, uh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> because Minority Report okay. was really mainly just product placement no, with a few no. bits of movie tossed in no, next to the product dumb. placement. That's not true. <laughs> Whereas, uh, that's not this true. was an actual movie. No, you're just trying to make a silly point. <laughs> uh, um, so I, 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 let's, let's, let's talk about how much we... So we're going to wind up this movie. What, what's your final take on Total Recall? I think they took a. They found. They did what every movie producer dreams of doing, which is finding a short story that had a great opening. And they're like, this sets up a great movie. This sets up a great story that then the author, who is insane, never <laughs> told. Like, who was literally physically insane, never told. And then he, he went off in this very too clever, too pat ending. Yeah, too and, clever. Like, too Twilight Zone yeah, yeah, too Twilight Zone on top of Twilight Zone yeah, Like, exactly. you know, Ray a Twilight Bradbury. Zone within a Twilight Zone within a Twilight Zone. But boy, this, and, you know, terrible title. We can remember it for you wholesale. We, you know, that's the first thing to go. Let's yeah. toss that out. But there is something great here. Like, if you just take this story in the direction it wants to go, not in yeah. some crazy new direction. If you just, you know, take the story in the direction it wants to go. Do the idea that you said. Yeah, do the idea you said you were going to do. And then <laughs> this could be a new idea a great, through. This could be a great, very Hollywood movie that has a shocking amount of ambiguity to it. Ends yeah. on a completely ambiguous also, note. Also, this is Paul Verhoeven. So this is like a, a master satirist. Yeah. If you love Robocop as you do and I do and you should, <laughs> yeah. or, or Starship Troopers, is Robocop or is fine. A lot of, a lot it's of just movies by him. The, the, this, this guy is like a master satirist yeah. of America and and the kind of movie, and it, even as we're watching it, he's a satirist of like the kind of violence that we're watching. Yeah. Uh, um, and no, I thought both Robocop and Starship Troopers worked as satire. Yeah. I thought they were both good satires. They are satire. I just, yes. Not, I just didn't think, I just thought they were, the degree to which they worked as movies was overrated. Yeah. Well, but, but you agree with me that this movie 
This movie's perfect. Yeah. This movie's a perfect <laughs> movie. This is a perfect piece of cinema. We all love Total Recall. And all the more reason that we should go out and see the remake, I think. Because, I'm not you know, see it. it's going gonna, it's gonna to take the boring old 1990 movie and make it so much cooler in the way oh, movies yeah. are so much cooler these days. Yeah. So you we know, should really watch that so remake. So speaking of, so the, I'm going to do a segue here. Uh-huh. The new Total Recall has as its, uh, in the Arnold Schwarzenegger role, Colin Farrell. Yeah. Colin Farrell is also in another Philip K. Dick adaptation, oh, Minority Report. Oh, okay. Well, let's discuss that one. Nailed it. Yes. That was a really good that segue. That was very smooth. That was awesome. Uh, so, yes. There was a time that Colin Farrell was like the biggest thing going. <laughs> they really wanted him to happen. They really wanted Colin Farrell to he's happen. He's really good at Minority Report. He's fine. Yeah, he's fine in Minority Report. Yeah. I mean, he's. I think that's sort of... That's the sort of role he should be playing to a certain extent. He's, he's, good in a he's lot of movies. more of a character actor than a leading actor. Yeah. He is one of these people who was destined to be a great character actor, but then Hollywood decided he should be a lead actor, and he wasn't up for that. And mm-hmm. so, but you put him in the smaller roles, and he does a very good job. Uh, he should not be playing Alexander the Great. He was playing, did he play Alexander the Great? <laughs> Oliver Stone. It's supposed to be a legendarily awful movie. Oh, but you but, didn't uh, see it. I never saw it. It could have been great. It, it could be great. It could be like Ishtar. It's something you actually watch it. It's great. I've seen Ishtar and it's terrible. I've seen Ishtar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, it could be like Heaven's Gate. You haven't seen it, but it's great. Uh, yeah, I've seen Heaven's Gate and Heaven's Gate is good, but you can certainly see why it flopped. You know, the the ultimate example of that is Soylent Green. Soylent Green is the movie where everybody's like, oh, let's all get together and make fun of Soylent Green. Do people say that? movie ever made. You watch Soylent Green, Soylent Green is great. Do people make fun of Soylent Green? <laughs> yeah, I think people assume... That the line, they're people. I think when people, you know, people don't just because they say like Luke, I am your father. They don't assume that you're making fun of Everest Rex. I think people feel like they're making fun of that movie when they say Silent Green is people. People are like, oh, remember that demo movie where they're reading people, and then you watch the movie, and it's such a, it's you know, it's the most prescient sci-fi movie ever made. Like everything in that movie is exactly what's happening to America in 2019. Give up our babies, be like. Churn into slurry I mean, for the churning of the gears. But, no, but the like, you know, they, they're talking about, throughout that movie, they're talking about global warming. Wow. Like, global warming is a big part of the problem. And, like, this is a movie in 1971. And, but of course, you know, it's like everything about this movie has come true. One of many, many things about this movie has come true is people are actually making something for themselves to eat called Soylent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, so this so movie literally came true. That is, that, uh, that is the, the, the new move for the, our nightmarish overlords. They, they just make the... The, the, the soft part loud now. Just saying, yeah. we're just going to call it Soylent. <laughs> we're just going to call think? it Soylent. We're just going to kill this, the, you, you know, um, this pedophile in jail. And the, we, we know it's going to take down everybody. And what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? We all and, know. And that's we the thing. We all know what happened. What are you, the, and the, the, that's a, it's not so much that killing him. It's not the cover-up. It's like them saying, yeah, we're going to do it. And what are you going to do about it? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, well, I guess I can't do anything. I'm just a guy. Talking to Matt Bird on a podcast, like, yeah, that's right. There's nothing you can do about it, and yeah. so, and that is the true op, like <laughs> the, the, the the transmitting to you the feeling of powerlessness. The more they can be flagrant about it, yeah. the more power they get. Of course, it used to be if you could cover it up, you could get more power. Now it's like, yeah, it's more power if more, you're just if yeah. you're just like way out there. But so the book, the book, uh, Sewing Green, and the movie Sewing Green. I forget what the name of the book was. It was different. But the, one of the big changes was. In the book, soil and green is not people. Guess what soil and green is made out of in the book? Uh, I don't know what. Soy and lentils. (laughs) (laughs) 
That, that's a good adaptation. Yeah, it's a better adaptation. <laughs> they're like, they're like, soil okay. and green is soy and lentils. <laughs> soil and green is soy and lentils. And there's like a little lentil who's crying on it's, the side of the road. It's the ultimate example of adding a of adding a holy shit moment. Like they're like they're like, wow, this is such a good book. This is such a powerful book about what life's gonna be like in the future with overcrowding and, and global mm-hmm. warming and extreme income inequality. And boy, let's turn it into a movie and let's you know let's capture the deep unease of overcrowding and global warming and income inequality they're like eh, people don't want disease <laughs> you know <or> unease <laughs> people don't want unease people want a kick in the guts people yeah. that's what people want out of a science fiction movie and they're like what if soy and green is not made out of soy and lentils what if it's people it i mean i haven't seen the movie but the metaphor has lasted for decades it's lasted for decades everyone loves it okay but we're it's not kind, here it's to kind talk of like, about um, peter thiel like having a surveillance company called palantir <laughs> which is like the name of the seeing stones in lord of the rings <laughs> Did I you did know not that? know that. I did yeah, not they, know when that. you they, they got one of the seeing stones from yeah. Saruman, and they look in the in like Pippin and Merry look into it, and they can see what's going on, like over yeah. in Mordor or whatever. It's like yeah. Palantir. It's like it's the name of an evil <laughs> seeing stone. And it's like yeah, we're just gonna put it out there. Yeah, we are that bad. Yeah, but we are not here to talk about Soil Green. We're here to talk about Minority Report. So, so this is the whole another Philip this, K. Dick short story. Another Philip K. Dick short story. The only reason this show exists, the whole our brand, is that we're supposed to dislike each other, dislike each other's ideas, degrade, denigrate, demerit, do whatever we can to each other. Mm-hmm. And so far, that hasn't really been happening because we we both agreed that Annihilation was was interesting, but not entirely successful adaptation of a hard to adapt story. We both agreed that Total Recall was 100% better, 1,000% better adaptation of a story that did not live up to its potential. But finally, finally, we can give America what they so desperately crave, <laughs> which is conflict and strum and strum and drang. As, what, Whatever. What would Arnold I, have to say about that? Strum and drang. No, my name is Quaid, and that's Hauser. Um, I, I love Minority this is Report. What, so I, I love this and movie. I hate Minority Report, and oh I think God. this is a case where Dick did knock it out of the park. I think it's the case where Dick did come up with the perfect ending for his. You beginning. are one hundred percent wrong. I am one hundred percent right. Can you? Okay, I thought can that you Dick came me? up with the perfect ending for his beginning, and that then Spielberg just couldn't take it. Spielberg literally couldn't take it. Spielberg would have had to shoot himself in the head before he you, shot Dick's ending. You couldn't be more wrong. Could you please explain the plot of Dick's short story? Okay. We're in the future. <laughs> uh, there is a... Our hero is the head of the pre-crime division of the Anderton? NYPD. Anderton, he is head of the pre-crime division of the NYPD. They have three mutants who can see the future... And then they, these three mutants produce. They've got uh, like enlarged reports. heads, damaged brain yes. tissue, wasted bodies. They're they're really like just monsters. Yeah, sort of monstrous mutants. They're, uh, they're beyond help. Then they've started arresting people for crimes they're going to admit before they actually commit the crimes. And then he is suspecting his wife of having an affair. He's suspecting his bosses of sending in a new younger man to replace him. What's, what's his name? Setwer or Setwet? Whitwer. Whitwer, that's it. Then while he is showing around this guy who is supposedly just going to work with him, but he's suspecting it's going to replace him, he gets, they're like, oh, here's the latest person who the mutants are saying is going to kill somebody. It's you. Anderton is like, oh no, it's me. Now 
I have spent years insisting to everybody that this is a foolproof system, that no one, it's never accused anyone of committing a crime who wasn't really going to commit that crime. But now it's accusing me. I know I was not going to commit a crime. I know I wasn't going to kill anybody. This person who they're saying I'm killed, this person I've never even heard of, person that I have met. Leo Kaplan. Leo Kaplan. So I am going to go on the run, which is the one thing I know not to do because it's the future and we're living in a police state, but I'm going to go on the run. And so he's on the run, and then he quickly finds people are helping him. The bad guys are about to catch him, and then he finds that he's got some sort of secret friends in high places this who are helping him get away. This is where it starts becoming Philip K. Dick completely getting fuzzed up. Yeah, oh, it's fuzzy. Don't get me wrong. Like, this, this Philip is, K. Dick is this, fuzzy. This ending is much less satisfying. It's so much more satisfying. Okay. So then eventually he's on the run. He's you know there's some action sequences. He's going back and forth. He has to break. He back meets into Leo Kaplan in the mid at the midpoint. He meets Leo Kaplan. He meets Leo Kaplan. And um, it's like, why? Why did they say I want to kill you? He realizes, so eventually he realizes what's going on is that there was recently a war. There had been martial law. The military had been in charge. And then civilian rule had been reestablished. And as part of civilian rule being reestablished, they'd been, they had established the pre-crime thing, which had you know, proven that the cops were, you know, it's like, oh, now that we've got a 0% homicide rate because of the pre-crime division, that proves that we should be relying on cops instead of on uh, military martial law. And he meets Leo Kaplan, finds out Leo Kaplan is a potential military dictator, and he quickly realizes that, oh, the military are the people who are secretly helping me because they want me. He eventually realizes that I'm being used as a tool. They intentionally made it so that I would be accused and not be guilty because they want to reestablish martial law. And in order to do that, they've got to prove that pre-crime is a hoax. And in order he to prove that pre-crime is a hoax... nothing personally at stake in this. Nothing. It's just society in general. He nothing is, personally totally at stake. has... This is Insofar as anybody in society does. But yeah, go on. He's devoted his career to it. He's devoted <sighs> his life to it. Yeah. Good, and so, Good luck getting anybody to care about that. So then he eventually, he realizes he has been insisting that this is a foolproof system. He realizes it's not a foolproof system, that the three mutants often disagree with each other and that gets covered up, and that one of them you know, will often disagree with the other two and there will be a minority report. And he two realizes, of them will say the murder will happen, one of them will say yeah, it won't. Yeah, and he has to find the minority report for his own murder, sort of confront the ambiguity in the system. And he's been lying to himself about lying to the American people about realize, okay, you know, sometimes we should listen to the minority report. Sometimes we should admit that there is ambiguity in a system in which no. it's very important there be no ambiguity. And so then, but eventually he discovers there is minority report. There was actually three different reports from three yes. mutants about there three is no minority report. It's that three different happening. reports of yeah. equal validity. And so then he realizes that, essentially, that there is such a thing as free will, which he has been insisting, essentially, that there isn't, and that he can choose what to do. But he realizes that at this point, because they have used my case as a test case to prove to the world that pre-crime is a bad idea, and it is, it's clear in the story that it is a bad idea, Mm -hmm. that pre-crime is not a good way to condemn somebody. He says, but military dictatorship will be so much worse that putting the country back under martial law will be worse. And I believe in pre-crime. You know, I don't want to admit the horror that I've been sending people away for pre-crimes that I should not have sent them away for. So I, the only way for me to get out of this situation is if I go ahead and kill this guy. 
why because he's gonna in front of everybody he's gonna invite me to make a speech to the nation he's going like everybody i'm making a speech to the nation this is the poster boy for pre-crime falsely accusing people and i'm going to bring him up to give a speech about how yes i now admit even though i used to run pre-crime now that i've been falsely accused i realize it's a bad idea setting the nation up for going back under military dictatorship and he's like i'm gonna kill the guy live on tv in order to prove to everybody that pre-crime was right i'm gonna again cover up the existence of minority reports i'm going to kill this guy and everybody instead of this guy trying to prove that pre-crime was a bad idea he'll have totally proven pre-crime was totally right here is the poster boy of the falsely accused actually commits the crime he was accused pre-accused of committing and the military the military coup will fail and pre-crime will continue and he is fine with that and then partially he does this because there's no death penalty in the future and he knows he's just going to be sent to a far colony so he and his wife are sent off to a far oh, colony at the end and, and is, like uh, you know as no stakes yeah the the stakes are not as high as they should be and that's the end of the stories so then spielberg gets a hold of this and he's like well first of all there can't be any ambiguity because i'm steven spielberg and i don't believe in ambiguity no, okay so but number one that's could you just tell the story and not just put words into the mouth of steven spielberg just tell the story so there can't be a minority report so yes we're going to have the same setup where, you know, along, he is accused. He believes that there is a minority He's accused. Report. He's like, wait a second. I've just found out about these minority reports. Suddenly I realize there's ambiguity in the system that maybe I've been wrong to be sending these people away for pre-crimes. But then he investigates. And because it's Spielberg movie, he finds out that, no, there is no minority report. And for that, him. And for him. And that, and that the three mutants all agreed and that they were all seeing this exact vision of Which him committing this murder. Which is a million times more powerful. And then he in terms of, ends in terms up of, uh, exactly what they saw in their vision exactly does occur. Yes, But a our hero times does more not powerful. actually commit any murder because it's like, well, I'm Steven Spielberg. Let me assure America that the system is not flawed. You're not telling the story the right way. He is saying, I'm setting you up to defend the movie. Okay. So then Spielberg says, let me assure America, our legal justice system is totally not flawed. No, if not they say saying. something is happening, there's no ambiguity. There's no, there's, they're never going to falsely accuse somebody. No, it's not now, what he's saying. He is, but, but, so everything they're accusing him of is exactly literally true, exactly what they predicted would happen did. But I'm also going to assure you that my hero would never kill anybody the way the hero in the short story does. He would never choose to kill anybody. Uh-huh. That... He, yes, exactly what they predicted would happen did happen, and yet it happened in such a way where nobody actually died. And the guy died. The guy, the guy he killed died. Okay, wait. I haven't seen this movie in a long time. Wait. So I thought <gasps> I the guy watched didn't it three die. days ago. <laughs> I so, thought the guy didn't well, die. How about instead, instead of him. you insisting wait. on describing a movie you haven't seen in years, <laughs> why don't you let me describe it? Who saw the movie three days ago? Well, so I just wanted to set you up that hold, far. Hold on. Hold on. So, what, so, what but, but Cruz doesn't kill him. He. The guy dies. But Chris doesn't kill him. Can, can I tell the story the way it should be told? I, I remembered correctly the that Tom Cruise does the beginning not of minority, kill the guy, At the but, beginning of Minority Report, he does die. we are made to be on pre-crime sides in the beginning. Uh-huh. We, they say, oh my gosh, they, they, we see a crime about to happen. Mm-hmm. That this guy is about to kill his wife who's going to... Um, who's going to... Uh, they cheat on him, mm-hmm. and it's, 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 it's we, Tom Cruise gets in the last minute and disables him. It's like, oh my gosh, pre-crime is a pretty good thing. It's a, we're on their side. It's a, what Steven Spielberg is going to do is going to take us on a journey from saying this is a pretty good thing, profiling, and like mm-hmm. this the movie came out in two thousand two. This mm-hmm. idea of like, oh, let's profile the Muslims. Let's you right. know, let, and he's going to take us from that to a place like we're not that. But the the, the woman who yeah. plays Tom Cruise's wife is a dead ringer for Laura Bush. Huh. Uh, um, like, it, it cannot be on accident. 
So um, at first we see, oh my gosh, pre-crime is a really good thing. There have, and then we learn there haven't been any murders mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C. for six years. And the thing is, there's stakes because they're about mm-hmm. to expand this program nationwide. Uh-huh. Those are the stakes. Yeah. And, and so Max, Max von Sydow uh-huh. and Tom Cruise started this program together. And Tom Cruise really believes in it. And what we learn as we go on is that a couple months before pre-crime started, Tom Cruise was at the uh, pool with his son, and they're doing this game where they each goes down underwater for a little bit of time, uh-huh. holds their breath for as long as possible, and comes back up. And then Tom Cruise does it, holds his breath as long as possible, and comes back up. His son is gone. Yeah, he's been kidnapped. That that's the thing that causes his his marriage to fail. When we meet him, in like he's very good at his job, but like he, he we see him at home. He's taking these drugs. He's uh-huh. just looking at old home videos. We used yeah. to do. The, the problem with Philip K. Dick's short stories is they have no interiority. Yeah. We have no backstory. We just have somebody who's just going through a scheme, and different people have different kind of interests, and they're all kind of trying to outwit each other. But there's no interiority, and there's no humanity. He represents an idea. So the guy who's replacing him, Whitwer, in the movie, is played by Colin Farrell, and he's uh-huh. somebody who's from the Department of Justice who's trying to investigate this. Are we going to take this nationwide? If so, let's make sure it's all on the level. Right. And he's finding things aren't on the level. And then especially when Tom Cruise's name comes up, and he just like in the short story, he's one who's going to do the next thing. And we, we see the visions of the precogs on these screens. And, and this is one of the great things about the movie. And this is what's the... And just like with Total Recall, these movies take a basic idea. Oh, you can know crimes before they happen, and you can change, you can stop them. You have to add in all the extra sci-fi gadgets. That's what's fun about them. So he's got... The thing we'll always remember about Morty Report is the gestural computers. Yeah. Like Tom Cruise. Which, yeah, hugely influential. You see that in movies still, and I'm like, yeah, that's from Minority Report. You borrowed that idea from Minority Report. Yeah, you know what they borrowed that from? Steven Spielberg, who you abuse all the time. And he found a way to make being on a computer look interesting. Tony Stark in the Marvel movies, all 22 of the Marvel movies, Tony Stark is using a computer just like that. And I'm like, yeah, that's yeah, every time. Report. I was like, that's my minority report. So gestural computers, retinal scanning, which they use in a way that they do this whole great scene of like, they're always scanning people's retinas. Yeah. And so no, that's very clever then, the way they do it in the movie. The, the, he has, that which necessitates Tom Cruise having to get his eyes replaced, yeah. which is a wonderful scene of like yeah, this that's person who he had put away for a crime doing the surgery on him. Yeah. And then the, the, the spiders that they, like, especially in like low income areas, they say, okay, we've got to find out if any of the people we're looking for is in this area. We'll set these spiders out to look yeah, at them. Yeah, I didn't like so the spiders. This great, Brian De Palma like uh, scene which the or it's like like uh, Ratatouille which were looking just down on rooms kind of going from room to room we've seen the spiders climb up on people and like make mobilize them and make them look at their eyes and they go and so there's like a family and the, and the mother's like oh oh baby baby just like okay just be still for the spider and it's like and the mommy I don't like it or there's a there's a, a couple and they have to stop for the spiders right. to like or there's a couple who's fighting and they're, they're really passionately fighting and they both stop the spiders scan their eyes and they go right back to fighting that's great that's great speed level filmmaking of like clarity and humor and social commentary all no. in one. Spielberg does that better than anyone. Oh no. Oh my god. Seriously? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were just Seriously. talking about Verhoeven. Verhoeven does it better than Spielberg. 
they're two different things. They got the retinal scanning. They've got the virtual reality suites. They've got the individually tailored advertising. This uh -huh. is in 2002. Like, <laughs> the, the, Whoa. Okay. So you do not want to mention this movie and advertising in the same breath because. Well, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. He so he, he went after he gets his new eyes in. He goes into a gap and say, "Hello, Mr. Yakamoto," <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Like, how did those new tank tops work out? And it's, it's hilarious that everything in the future is different, except the gap is the same. No, well, <laughs> no every every company in America still has the same logo because he interacts with like twenty brands in this that movie that are the exactly the same. That's the joke. <laughs> that these that everything comes and goes, but the corporate brands stay the same. That's the joke. If that's if the that joke. had been a joke, then in order to make that joke funny, Spielberg would have had to not take money from all these brands to show their modern took... logo. Okay, in I don't the know movie. if he took money or not. However, the gap said, this movie, "Yeah, we'll be in this dystopian future in which we look like a dystopian, awful people." This movie made money before it ever got released. Well, this is inside baseball. I didn't know that. No, how can you? How can you watch a movie with this much product placement in it and not roll your eyes the whole time? How can you do that? You know what? Also, had product placement in it. What's that? Total Recall. Did it? Yes. There was like, it's like light beer, you know, like yeah. Bud Light in the background. And like, okay. there, there, there's like product placement that. I was much more sensitive to that in 2002 no, than I was in 1990. I, I, I wasn't thinking about it that in either times. It doesn't matter to me because it's a hideous dystopian state and the gap is doing just fine. <laughs> it says much more against the gap than any kind of Bernie Sanders screed. Yeah. Okay? So in... The, the original short story, Anderton is this balding middle-aged man who's married with no kids. In the movie, Tom Cruise is young, divorced, he's a drug addict, he's got self-pity over the breakup of his family. And so, but his son has been kidnapped and presumably killed. It's a personal, it's revenge for his son's fate that's the driving force behind the predicted... When he finally finds the guy that he's supposed to be murdering, uh -huh. it turns out that it's like, he sees all these pictures all in the bed as he sees his own son's picture, oh my god, this is the guy who's go who kidnapped my son. Right. And, and so he's, he's like, he was saying, and also he rescues the precog, which does not happen in short story. Right. We are naturally feel bad for the precogs. They're yeah. human beings. And so the fact that he rescues a precog and by the end of the movie, all precogs are kind of have their own place and just hanging out in yeah. a, a cabin somewhere. That is a much more satisfying ending. It's, it's very personal with him. He meets the guy and he sees, he realizes, and the, and the woman has told him, no, there is no minority report. You are going to kill this guy. So it's the opposite of the Philip K. Dick story. The Philip yeah. K. Dick story, there's three different things that could happen. This one's like, there's only one thing that could happen. And he says, no, I won't do it. That's a much clearer problem of free will. But that, he that, ends no, no, up... just let me finish. Of just like, you are definitely going to do this. And he's like, no, I'm definitely not going to do this. I'm going to go into the area where I'm definitely not going to do it. And he goes into the area and he does it. And he what? He doesn't. He does it. He does it. He goes like that. And the man, he eventually gets the man to admit, oh my, I didn't actually kidnap your child. I was just, it was a setup. Right. I, I'm, 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 you know, I'm just like the patsy, you know, whatever. If I don't get, if I don't die, my family doesn't get the money. And right. so Tom Cruise struggles with him. And then there's a, something ambiguous happens with the gun and the guy gets shot and he dies. Right. Uh, it's it, so Tom Cruise is like, oh my God, it did happen just the way they said it was going to do. And I'm going to get, I'm going to get blamed for this murder. And of course, Max von Sydow is behind all of it. Right. Well, and, it all, you get... and it all goes back to what is the origin of the precogs? 
which it, I think that has to be addressed in a story. And like Max von Sydow is behind the murder of the mother of the of the precog right. that that Tom Cruise is rescuing, and and so it, it's but, a much more satisfying story because it's like it gets back to what is the origin of the precogs. It gets down to like a personal story about the main character. What but I mean, say? but then you like they literally Hollywoodize the story and that they just lift whole scenes out of the fugitive and LA confidential with okay, just that, that's not, find that's, and replace that is not a the names. Uh, that is not a, a, a criticism. You can say that about Star Wars. You can say about Raiders of the Lost Ark. But I mean, you can say it's about really ridiculous in this matter. movie. It like does, I was laughing when I saw this movie in the theater. I've, I've I'm like, oh my god. LA Confidential and I've seen the fugitive and I was not laughing. I I, I think it's totally fine. To borrow a scene that much. Which one? Which scene? Where James Cromwell kills Kevin Spacey in LA Confidential is an ex- is exactly duplicated in the scene where Max von Sydow kills Colin Farrell. Like, exactly duplicated. You know what? It's du- exactly duplicated in a million other Hollywood movies. <laughs> no, there, you can watch every Hollywood movie ever made. You would never find two scenes as similar as those two scenes. <laughs> and then he confronts his friend while the friend is giving a speech, which is just exactly the scene from The Fugitive. Like, mm-hmm. exactly the scene from The Fugitive. Go watch The Hidden Fortress and then go watch Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come okay. on. It's, it's, these are the rules of the game. <laughs> I, this is the rules of Spielberg's go, go, game. Go watch a band apart and then go watch the dance scene from Pulp Fiction. I, I think it's fine. Okay. The, I mean, um, if you were just saying, if the, if the biggest criticism you can make against it is like a couple scenes were lifted from other movies, that's a big climb down from right. your okay. like, yeah. so, previous thing. So many of my problems with this movie, you're right, aren't, aren't germane to our discussion today. We'll ignore the lifting scenes from other movies. We'll ignore the product placement. I still feel like, even though you're right, Dick is not writing fully realized characters, and this movie does have more of a fully realized character than the original short story did, which was an important thing that they had to do when turning it into a movie. I still feel like this movie is whole, the movie is called Minority Report, and the whole idea behind the movie is the future is not fixed. When you look into the future, there are minority reports. That is why it's so shattering when there is no minority report. That's what you have to do. No. If you, the name of the movie is Minority Report, and what happens? They find the minority report. Like that, that's that. You have to have that switcheroo. You have to have that like, oh, oh my god. They, they found the Minority Report, and there was no Minority Report. That's what a good movie does. That's what a good story does. But then but then it'd be one thing if then it turned out what the precog saw didn't happen. So like, oh, therefore pre-crime No, they is... saw exactly what happened. But it no, it turns out they saw exactly what happened, yes. but it was just turned out he didn't actually kill the guy. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Because it's, that, that is that's, That would have been enough to have convicted him in any court. That that's is... why what he was doing was unjust. That is and that's what takes us from realizing what he was doing was just to that what he's doing is unjust. That is Spielberg's fear of ambiguity. That no, is Spielberg's, Spielberg's fear let's of talk about, criticizing the no, system. Let's talk about the movie in front of us. Let's talk about the, the, all like what you they think about Spielberg because I can't analyze or, or combat that. I can only talk about this movie, and in this movie, it seems like it's quite subtle. It's like. Here's a situation which it looks like he could, he killed the guy, but he didn't. And the system that he was in charge of would have condemned him, but he wasn't guilty. Yeah. That's interesting. Forget about what your axe to ground with Spielberg. That's interesting. I didn't find it interesting. I thought it felt like a cop-out. I felt like it felt like... You think that... it would have been better if he had killed him? 
I well, I think the the short story the, when he decides to kill the guy in the most ironic way. I think you understand that that is a very unsatisfying ending. It's also it's an ending. It's entirely about abstract matters. It is abstract. And here's the great thing about Minority Report, the Steven Spielberg movie. It's about his son. It's about his wife. It's about the precog. Yeah. It's about specific people that he's pledged to protect and couldn't protect. A woman that he wants to reconnect with and can't and would like to. And about the, the precog that he would like to protect and then eventually achieves in doing. And then in the background, this system crumbles. However, a movie can't be about abstractions. And Steven Spielberg made exactly the right call. I thought it was interesting in reading about the movie on Wikipedia that the originally the script had a line that at the end of the movie, after the movie was over, they show that the mutants are now happily living on an island, reading books, and he's now back with his wife, and she's pregnant again, and they're doing all this stuff, that then everything was going to fade down, and then it was going to fade up on screen. The next year, there were 106 homicides. They were going to go like, okay, got rid of free crime, and this is like, uh-huh. what? So we've had this trade-off of, you know, we've yeah. got nobody falsely accused now, but, you know, we've gone from zero homicides to 106. And I'm like... Yeah, that would have been pretty awesome. And, of course, Spielberg was not going to end the movie that way. Um, like, Spielberg is someone who is a studio boss and a director and is constantly warring with himself, do I want to be a studio boss or a director? And as a studio boss, there's no way on earth he would have ended a movie with that line, which I would have earned so much more respect for me. You know, if, if only Steven Spielberg had listened to you, he would have been famous. I know. Can you imagine how successful <laughs> Steven Spielberg would be if only I could, only I could set him straight? That would have been fine. It would have felt to me... Uh-huh. Like a kind of cheap joke. Yeah. If I had seen that as the end of the movie. Yeah. It wouldn't have felt like, ah, we gotcha. Or like, ooh. It, it, that's an ambiguity that was not earned. Like, I, I felt like what we cared about at that point were these characters. We were brought to a gentle close of these characters. And it's like, oh, by the way, statistic, fuck you. <laughs> it, it's like in a college way, I guess that's, you know, um, kind of satisfying. But I don't think in a human way. I don't think in a... In a, in a movie way that's satisfying but I mean but that's that's how what about the end movie... of Total Recall they said like by the way <laughs> this air wasn't that great on Mars and 30% of people died oh you, you know you might feel good Arnold Schwarzenegger won but did you know how many people died because of what he did in the Star Wars it's like you know how people, many people died in the, in the Death Star when it blew up there were 100,000 people some families lived down there like what kind of movies do you want like you're holding Spielberg up to some kind of crazy unrealistic like a standard that even you don't believe in this guy is a genius and you know why he's great clarity clarity that's exactly why i don't like him no that is why he is great he is great because he is clear about his intentions he's clear about what he wants you to feel he makes you feel it and there's no ambiguity i don't feel it i don't feel it and then i feel it many people feel it you know what he wants you to feel and you feel it I know what he wants me to feel, but I don't feel it. I uh, and is, because of the clarity, I feel like I feel like you are. This is too clear. You. This is too sanitized. This is too cleaned up. Well, I. I we have completely violated our brand here. Originally, this was supposed to be. I was the guru arguing in favor of Hollywoodization, and you were supposed to be the anti-Hollywood guy. Mm-hmm. And we've completely you failed on both. You failed on both. No, you failed. You can't you be failed. artistic, <laughs> and failed. you can't. You can't be uh, commercial. You can't do anything. I think you have failed on every level, James. You were supposed to have some artistic integrity. You have now thrown that away on the 
alter room, Steven Spielberg. You've embarrassed yourself. You've embarrassed yeah. me. You've embarrassed. Uh, here comes my wife. She's coming downstairs. You've certainly embarrassed her. Yeah, I've taken the bold stance of saying Steven Spielberg is a worthwhile director. <laughs> I, I've taken this crazy. Are you sure you want to throw your life away? Are you sure you want to throw all your credibility away on that hopeless cause? I'll do it. Okay, James. So we have ended up in opposite places of where we usually end up. You are the defender of Hollywoodization. I am the critic of it. Uh, No, 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 no. I think that the adaptation of Total Recall is better than the short story. uh I think the adaptation of Minority Report is better than the short story. And I think the... The book of Annihilation is better than the movie. Yeah. So it's a one out of three, if that's the way that you're going to go. Yeah, yeah. So two out of three. Uh, okay, you know, yeah. So you're, you you had two votes for Hollywoodization and, and yeah. one, vote, one vote against. But even then, it was sort of an ambiguous vote against, because you, you liked that movie. I'm glad I had a look at the Dick stories in addition to Annihilation, because I think that they were juicier examples of, of this, and I, I'm glad we were able to get some. Our brand is conflict, and I feel like mm-hmm. we were able to get some conflict here, although we're on opposite sides of where we usually are. That's what makes it even more interesting. It does. But, so yeah. I think that Hollywoodization, I'm agreeing with you on Minority Report that a lot of the changes they made in our report were the sort of changes they had to make. But to me, they did in a way that was insultingly flattening to the material that they they flattened the material they took something that was a hard tough short story that really had to deal that really rubbed your face in this tough moral dilemma and had a brilliantly ironic ending and they said okay how can we take the irony out how can we take most of the ambiguity out flatten the story out and reassure everybody that even though this is intensely, deeply disturbing material for a story, that everything's ultimately going to be all right and we're going to have a happy ending. And I disagree 100%. I feel they completely fulfilled the premise and they personalized it and made you care in a way you did not care in the short story. Okay, so I think this has been a good discussion. We will come back with another episode soon. I am Matt Bird. I'm James Kennedy. (laughs) Yes, that that was your cue, yes. And thank you for listening, everybody. Have a good, uh, oh, I'm going to say have a good week. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Story podcast. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you found us. Go to secretsofstory.com and click on the Secrets of Story podcast in the sidebar to find notes and join the discussion about this episode. Find out about James's novel, The Order of Oddfish, and more at jameskennedy.com. And hey, if you'd like a free audio copy of that book or my book, sign up for a free trial of Audible at our special landing page, www.audibletrial.com secretsofstory. We get a few bucks and you get a free book. We're on Twitter at Secrets of Story 1 and at I am James Kennedy. Our music is by Head and Kime. Our logo is by Jessica Friday. See you next time.